You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Good morning. It's great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Philippians chapter 3, I want to welcome you all here. It's good to see you. Good to see you on the internet. However you're joining us today, my family and I are excited to be back. We had a little trip to visit some family, and, uh, we, but we missed you guys, and um, we are definitely glad to be here in the place set aside for worship to the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start with verse 10. Paul writes to the church, and he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Continues on a little later in that verse. It says, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I did good. I got through three verses without pausing. Christ has taken hold of you. You're called his inheritance in the Bible. You matter to him. You're important above important. There are not words to describe the value you have as the creation of God and as the apple of his eye. His child, the Bible says, your walls, it was speaking of Jerusalem, which in a broader term to his whole kingdom and people, the walls of Jerusalem are engraved on the palm of his hand. A pastor once said, it's God's tattoo, and it's a picture of you on his hand. There's a spirit of the age that's not the spirit of God or the sevenfold spirits of God that go throughout the earth. There's a spirit of the age that wants to convince you that you're worth nothing, meaningless, that it wouldn't even matter if you'd ever been born, and that it might even be better had you not. It is a lie from hell in confrontation to God's face, the accuser who's called the accuser of the brethren, who stands to accuse you and say you're worthless because God has said you mean everything to him. Christ has taken hold of us. He's done everything he can outside of violating your free will. Because in the context of free will is where love exists, that it's a choice. But you are the prize of prizes to Christ. He has taken hold of you. He's stretched out his arms to pay the penalty so that you might be redeemed to God. Your value cannot be expressed. It must be why there is such a relentless attack on what you mean to the Lord. I don't want to Google it, it's depressing, but the isolation, loneliness, anxiety, depression that's running through the earth, it's on purpose, it's the spirit of the age. I want to argue against it today and pull it down today. Christ has taken hold of you. Some things slip through our fingers, don't they? Man, I hope he gets back to his nose, this could be all day. It's not going to be all day, I'm already hungry. 
Have you let some things slip through your hands? Man, if I had that day back, that year back, that job back, that money back, have you let some things slip? Nothing can take us out of the hand of God. No angel, no demon, no scheme of man, nothing on the earth, above the earth, or under the earth. We are held in a hand that won't let us go. Christ has taken hold of you. I hope you're smiling. I hope you're that's sinking in a moment. Oh, Lord, for the revelation of your word to touch our heart in a way it hasn't before. We ask for it today. Paul says, I want to know Christ, and I haven't attained everything yet, but I want to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. You might see it as an embrace. Christ embracing Paul took hold of his life in a miraculous, unbelievable event. Read about it in the book of Acts. Christ took hold of him, apprehended him, stopped him on his way to death and turned him around to life. Like our testimony, isn't it? And Paul said, he took hold of me and I want to spend my life taking hold of him. To take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, the relationship with God Almighty himself, that he knows us and that we might know him. Christ has taken hold of you. And you don't have to stay in his hand. You can walk out of it, but nothing's going to take you out of there. It will be your choice. I want to echo this cry from Paul's heart that I could take a hold of Jesus for that reason for which he took hold of me. But make no mistake about it. You're worth everything to the Lord. He didn't get you on sale. He didn't wait till you ended up at Goodwill. He didn't get you in one of those $5 everything you can fit in the bag bags. He didn't walk through like I do at Best Buy. Man, is there an open box on that? Is there a discount on that? Am I old enough for the discount? If my dad was in the military, could I get a discount? Do you have a ball-headed discount? It says it took blood to redeem you, the blood of the Holy One, the only one found worthy, the Son of God, would bleed himself for you, to take hold of you. What a lie we get wrapped up in. What a lie, and I'm not making light of it. It's, the devil's good at what he did. He was a Snake in the garden. In Revelation, he's a dragon. He's grown in his ability and his skill, but it's still an accusation and it's still the father of all lies he's called. I want to pull this down, if I could today, with the word of God, the weapons of our warfare, to pull down against the strongholds that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. There's an idea that raises itself up against the knowledge of God that says, you're not worth much. When the knowledge or the understanding or the wisdom of God, as pastor's been preaching about in this three-week series, One God, One Truth, the wisdom of God is this, that you matter to Him and were created for Him. You are His, and He has taken hold of you. Oh, surrender to it. Rock me, Daddy. Hold me, Father. Put your hands on me. Take me, have me, consume me. Oh, Paul is crying out that I could take hold of Christ for which Christ took hold of me. You believe whatever you want, but the truth is this. You matter to God. He bought you at full price, the price of his blood. 
the only price that could be paid that would count, that could get you out of where you were and bring you back to where you were meant to be. And you matter so much to him. And oh, for the day when that revelation hits us, Lord, give us eyes to see what you see. Who you are in Christ. Oh, set us free, Lord, that chains would be broken. He says, Christ took hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. There was a rap album. Okay, stay on track. He's saying, hey, my family, I'm not telling you that I've already taken hold of it. But I want to so much that there's one thing I do. That would be the title today. One thing I do. Paul says this, that I would know Christ and that I could take hold of him like he's taking hold of me. This is the one thing I do. Y'all know who we're talking about right now talking. This is not mad. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who knew something about the Lord, I would say. Paul says, this is the one thing I do. I'm going to copy what Paul's doing. I'm hoping to get better at it. He says, I do this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's look at that last little paragraph right there on your screen in your text. One thing I do, the one thing he does is in verse 14, he presses on toward the goal. But there's two ways that he presses on. He forgets the past and he strains toward the future. I want to talk about those two things today and that the Lord would help us. Will you pray with me? Father, Your word says that eyes that see and ears that hear, you make them. We ask you for the supernatural healing of our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears that we could see you today, hear you today, and that our heart would have the ability to understand. God, I ask you that your word would run swiftly, that it would grow like a seed inside of us and produce fruit, that it would be a hundred times more later than it is right now. We ask you for the miracle of you, the one who makes the seed grow. We ask you, spirit of wisdom and revelation, to open our eyes and to help us understand. In Jesus' name, amen. We were on vacation. We did a little flying. Well, we got on a plane. It would have made my arms tired. That's three dads laugh. Thank you, dad jokes. It's on the echelon. Dad jokes, it just, they just... Hey, will you just leave the scripture up there for me? We did a little flying, then we did a little driving. I was driving in an unfamiliar place. So I was, uh, they do roads a little bit different where I was. We just exit on. They exit off and loop around. There's like a clover on every exit where we were. And then um, there, there were a lot of trees where we were. So you drive through a lot of Texas, and you can see everything from, what, 15 miles before you get there, right? It's flat. And you're like, oh, okay, there's a gas station up there. We'll pull over. Everything's hidden behind the trees. Anyway, I was driving. It was a little bit unfamiliar. I had the GPS, the God positioning system. God, please, I hope you know where I am right now. I was driving, and I was thinking about how life could be, uh, driving could be a metaphor for life. I'm not the uh, brightest bulb in the box, or as I told Micah today, I'm not the sharpest bulb in the box. So I'm going to use this metaphor of driving to help me understand this scripture today. You know, we had that metaphor, Robert Frost said there were two paths in the woods, and he was debating which way to go. Uh, I think it's Rascal Flat said, life is a highway, I want to drive it. 
The Beatles said it's the long and wide road that leads to Taco Bell. So this metaphor of the road and driving and, and going down a path in life, it's familiar to us. It's a, a way to explain it. It's going to help me understand it. If we're going to press on toward the goal, if we're going to take hold of Christ as he's taking hold of us, we're going to have to drive in a certain way. The, the first way we're going to have to drive is we're going to have to drive forward. Who's, who's pretty good at driving forward? Let me see your hand. Even on the internet, because uh, really I'm taking notes about if I want to pull out of church at the same time as you're not. Okay, who's good at driving backwards? <laughs> forward usually works best, doesn't it? A couple of things that make pressing on work is, number one, driving forward. We've got to forget what is behind. We can't live in the past. What I'm going to try to describe through the Word of God today is not an easy thing. You're not just going to hear it and go, oh, well, since you said it, I got it. Paul said it's a straining. It's a pressing on. Straining and pressing on. Pressing on, in the, as it was written in the Greek in the Bible, means to pursue, to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire, to run swiftly to reach the goal. There is, there is a motion and a movement and some energy to it. I don't mean to say that us being able to forget our past is going to be an easy thing. There's going to be some straining in it, but if we want to go forward, we can't stay where we used to be. You don't want to live your life in reverse. I was thinking about the vehicle that we rented. It had a real nice backup camera. Have y'all seen those in your car? When I grew up, the backup camera was if you could turn your neck around or it was that little thing in the front and the sides, the rearview mirrors. The backup camera, did you know that in most cars, at least the ones I've driven that have them, the backup camera doesn't come on until you put it in reverse. You have to be going backward to use the backup camera. Listen, if we are living in the past, that's already an, an, uh, an uh, 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 usually I can say uh three times and the word comes. It's just not coming. Make a new sentence. Okay, I'll try. If I see the backup camera, it's letting me know I'm in reverse. If my life is looking at the past, it's letting me know I'm not going forward. This is going to be on this level for some of us where we go, man, I want to go forward with the Lord, so I'm going to leave the past behind. Others of us today on the Internet and in the building Our past and where we are in it and parked in it and going backwards to it is such a difficult thing that it will be painful even to hear some of these words. Here's what the enemy will say to you. Oh, you've heard this before. You've tried to forget your past. Or what they did to you was such a big deal, you shouldn't forget that. Or I wish I could forget it, and you talking about just bringing it up again. Well, I'm asking for the mercy and the grace of God that if Our past in some of our lives is such an issue, something we've done or something someone else did, that we would be able for that healing process to begin by us just saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to get out of my past. I'll go if you'll go with me. If the backup camera's on, the car's going backwards. The backup camera shows you a limited picture. If you use those rearview mirrors, you see a little bit more on this side, a little bit more on this side. This thing helps sometimes turning around, helps. 
there's some importance in knowing what's behind you. But we don't want to be driving. I mean, who's pulling out of H-E-B on 183 if you saw three cars driving backwards down the highway? Well, I'm just going to wait till that passes by. I'm going to let that problem leave. We don't want to live in the past. We don't want to be driving through our life with a backup camera. Maybe it'd be better to use that rearview mirror. You can use that thing when you're going forward or backward. That rearview mirror, have you tried that? Um, you could be going just to make sure somebody's not creeping up too fast on you or if you're going to change lanes. There is some importance to knowing our past and, and dealing with it rightly, but living in our past and not forgetting or moving on from our past can be very dangerous. Paul was talking not only about past mistakes, but past successes. In, let's look at the mistakes first. You know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, the, one of the last verses, might be the last one. It says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not just the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Some things that keep us locked in our past are our mistakes, the sins we've done, the dirt we did, the thing we wish that we could go back and redo. If I had one do-over, it would be, and you could probably name it. As soon as I say that one, the other 25 come up. Look at this verse in Psalm 103. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sin. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth, woo I'll take it. My youth is renewed like the eagles, and my eyes too, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, go to the next verse. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him are as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. God's love towards you is greater than the expanse of heaven to earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Look at verse 12. Our past can keep us locked up by our failures. It's almost like you stay in the past because the chain of your failure has parked your car in the past. Oh, you can't go on from here. That wouldn't be right. Look what you've done, the voices might tell you. Your thoughts might come to you and say, it would be unjust for you to get out of this hole because of the stuff you did. You dug the hole, you sit in it. You made your bed, you lay in it. You did the dirt, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. I think that was another rap song. Oh, I'm going to rap today. But the Bible says, because of his great mercy that God doesn't deal with us as we deserve, but his great love, he deals with us in compassion as a father. And through the blood of Jesus, he has wiped clean our sin as far as the east is from the west. I'm not good in school, but they told me one time if you go east, you just keep going east because you're always going that direction. Whereas if you go north, you get past Santa Claus's house, and then you start going south again. But if you keep going east, you'll just keep always traveling east. It means they're separated from us. 
God can't find them no more. One verse says he's cast them into the sea, never to be seen again. It means the punishment for them has been paid for. You are free from your past because Jesus has freed you. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. So if you've put the car in park, if you've put reverse and used the camera to get you back to a lot of the problems you've done and just parked the car there and said, you know what, I can't leave from here. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything good to happen to me. I deserve the punishment that I have. We do deserve the wages of sin is death, but Jesus has paid for that death. Today, you can put the car back in drive and drive out of that trouble that you did. Or maybe that trouble was done to you. Maybe the past has a hold on us because of what someone else did. The wrath of God against that sin that was done to your life, it wasn't just like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It was put on the back and body of Jesus. Some of you have lived through some things that, well, you know. And to hear that someone can just go free. Well, Jesus didn't just go free. He was bruised for our transgression, pierced for our iniquities. The punishment that is deserved for what was done to you was put on to Jesus. God keeps every tear in a bottle, the Bible says. He knows all your pain and sorrow. But since it's paid for, and since freedom has been purchased, today I want to put my car in drive and drive out of that place God's help needed and get on with pressing on and get on toward my future. Will you come with me? Paul said before these verses that we read today that he had all the reason to boast, but he would only consider those things he could boast in garbage except for knowing Christ. Some of us are living in our past successes. The good things we've done. The Bible says, and Paul says, I want to move forward. I consider all that behind me, that I could go this way with the Lord. Good or bad, God is calling us out of the past. Look at Revelation 3.1. Jesus says this to the church, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You're parked in the past, he might say to the church, to me as a person. You're parked in the past with all that great testimony you had, but today you're living on the past and today your heart is dead. It was on fire then, but it's cold now. And in mercy, the Lord comes that we wouldn't stay dead, but that we might wake up and strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. So go back to what you heard and believed first. Go forward. Go back to what you had first. Hold on to it. Repent and turn to me. Go forward out of your past. We can live in the pain of our past or the blessing of our past. All of it's in our past. And Paul says, for me to press on to Christ, I have to leave the past behind. There's some great things in your life, and they're so important what God's done. But today is the day of salvation. 
God is at work, and he's still working to this day. And all those are great memories and blessings, and they serve such a great purpose. But God wants to do it again and again and new. His mercies are new every morning. There's more for us. We're the people of God. We follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. Surely he's not done with this yet. Just agree with me. Yeah, there must be more for Matt. And thank you, Jesus. Make it quick. There's more. All those are great things, the things we've done, the places we've been, what God's done in us and through us and got us out of and taken us into and through, and the victories. But there's more overcoming ahead. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The Lord says, wake up. Don't live on the past reputation. And how do you do it? You go back to what you believed at first, the things you were taught, the the word of God, your relationship with Christ, and you go forward in him. We're coming out of the past. Paul says, I want to know Christ, and so I press on. And the way I do it is forgetting my past. Hey, use that backup camera when you need it. But you know what I thought about? I thought about how I like to live in Lockhart. Have you ever gone somewhere where the guys drive the big trucks, like the Dooleys or the, or the big trucks, and they go park? You know how they park? They back in to park. You, see, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, go to like Tractor Supply or Smith Supply or somewhere where there's some big trucks. I got a little car. You just pull right in forward. Then you back out and try not to hit each buddy at H-E-B because you're backing out. But if you're driving a big truck, you're going somewhere, you, pull, you find a parking place, it's right there, right? You turn that bad boy, put it in reverse and back up into that part. You know why? Well, part of it is it's easier to back the truck up into that place than backing it out of that place. But the other part is that guy's got somewhere to go when he gets out of H-E-B. He didn't back up in there to stay parked. He's leaving when he gets out of that store. Hey, I like that. I like that. I might be here for a minute, God, but I got my car facing forward with you. This might be a season of my life right now. I might be parked in here. I might have to go in and deal with some things right now. I might have to pick up some stuff while I'm parked here. But when I get out of there, I'm getting in here and we're going forward. I'm not making a requirement that everybody in all generations has to back into parking spaces anymore. I'm trying to use a metaphor to help Matt's brain understand that God wants me going forward and not living where I'm parked or where I have been. Don't tell me where he has been. Tell me where he will has been. I want to go forward in my life. Anybody else? Yeah, well, I'm excited enough for all of us, so you don't have to worry about it. I want a little freedom in my life. Paul says this, I want to know Christ. And so I press on by forgetting the past. And number two, he says, straining toward what is ahead. He says, I strain toward what is ahead. Has it been a little tough lately? It's supposed to be. You didn't do anything wrong. You live in a world that's aching and groaning for the return of Christ, who will be shortly coming in the clouds, and who's going to make all the wrong things right, who's going to bring righteousness and justice to the earth, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. It's going to be a minute. We're in the birth pains now, but glory is coming. God's will is going to be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray. But it's going to be a little bit tough to get there. Anybody had a baby? I'd like to say we had four. I just put me in there. The Bible says 
It's so difficult and so hard and so much straining. But the joy on the other side is so worth it that you forget the pain. Well, hold up, brother Matt. I don't know if I forgot all the pain. No, but the joy on the other side is worth the strain. Listen, if you've been straining, if it's been a little difficult, that's because that's just how it is. It's not because you don't know what you're doing. It's not because Jesus let you down. It's not because God is on a vacation and he forgot about Lockhart, Texas. It's because it's hard. We live in a kingdom that's fighting against the kingdom of our God. And God is mercifully taking his time to arrange the takeover of the earth. The prince of the power of the air will fall and heaven will come down. You'll see Jesus. Every eye will see him in the sky. It is difficult. You're doing something right. You're straining ahead. I looked up some statistics because I didn't know them from experience. Olympic swimmers, they swim hours a day. Hours a day for a race that will take minutes. NBA players. One guy did some statistics. He said they may shoot 300 shots in one practice, two practices a day, some of them. 600 shots a day, that could be up to 4,000 or more shots in a week. To play in a game where they're going to take probably less than 20, some less than 10, some of them won't shoot in that game. The player with the highest average of shots per game is Elgin Baylor. He had almost 24 shots a game. So let's just take the highest average. What are you talking about, Matt? Basketball. Yes, I'm talking about basketball. And I'm not talking about the NCAA because the Longhorns lost last night, and I'm just not talking about it. Elgin Baylor averaged 24 shots in a game. He's the most for attempts of shots. So every other player shoots less than that in a game. Yet, in a week, they shoot 4,000 times. So that in a game, if they get to shoot once or twice or three times, they might be ready. Let me tell you something about your life and my life in Christ and this strain forward. Every day, you're making decisions. You're getting thoughts out of your head. You're wrestling with lust and the lust of your eyes and the, the prince of this world and the fiery darts of the enemy, the Bible says. And, and every day, you're just doing this. No, I'm not. No, don't say that. Don't go there. Don't, duh, duh. And then you're saying yes to some things more, Lord, and I'm going to take some time to pray and whatever. And it doesn't feel like much. You know what it feels like? 4,000 shots a week so that maybe you get one that's going to matter. But let me tell you what matters. The 4,000 shots in the week matter or you never make the one in the game, right? That strain that you're doing that feels so like, what, what am I even doing this for? Nobody even sees it. God sees it. He's going to talk to you about it in heaven. You're going to have billions of years. He's going to say, I remember that time. It was so tough, and you chose me instead of them. You chose me instead of that. You chose love instead of anger and hate. You chose righteousness instead of sinfulness. I saw everyone. They moved my heart, the Lord would say. It meant something to me. Oh, I'm so in love with you, and you've been so in love with me. I saw your heart grow. That athlete that swims for hours is stronger in the minute race. That Christian that fights in the straining forward to take hold of Christ. Oh, that I could have him. I'm straining. It matters to the Lord and in your life. You're getting stronger. Anybody got grandkids? I don't, and I'm not expecting them soon. 
but I think they're coming. Do you say things to your grandkids if you don't see them a lot? Like, you must have grown a foot this summer or since the last time I saw you. And the kids there trying to figure out, like, I think I still have two feet. Growth takes place in a way that you can't see it when it happens, but you can see it after a period of time that it happens. Is that not right? Unless you get these time-lapse cameras, like I love those, those, those specials on the, the world, and they go to the Amazon forest, and you'll watch the plants grow. You know, a year, time-lapse goes, you're like, they're growing so fast. No, it took a year. You couldn't have seen it with your eye, but the camera captured it. That's what's happening in your life. Follower of Christ. You're straining. It feels so hard. It looks like nothing's happening. And the Lord goes, oh, I see it. From my perspective, I see, I know where you used to be. I know where you are today. Some of you have said this a hundred times in the last year. I can't do another day like this. Well, you just did 365 more of them. You grew. You did it. It felt like nothing. The kid never goes, I know, Grandma. I grew a foot. It was last Tuesday. I just saw it in the mirror. I was uh, brushing my teeth. I was brushing my teeth, I could just see my eyes. By the time I was finished, I could see my neck. I grew a foot while I was brushing my teeth. Never happens. Doesn't usually happen in your Christian life either. There's some moments where God breaks in because it's the right time and because it's his plan and he gives us that spark and some chain comes off. And some, but most of the growth happens little decision by little decision. One of 4,000 shots by one of 4,000 shots. And then the game's on the line, and we've got to make a decision in the Lord, and we've strengthened all those spiritual muscles and that accuracy, and we hit the basket because we've been putting in the strain. A Christian straining forward. Luke 9, 51. Jesus is so awesome. He doesn't ask us to do anything he hadn't already done. Jesus is living his life. It's recorded in the Gospels. He's announcing the kingdom. He's raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out devils, causing blind eyes to see, lame to walk, deaf to hear. And it says at one point in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it was getting time for him to go back to the Father. In this version, it says for him to be taken up. When the days drew near. (laughs) I'm going to say that to my kids sometimes today. What are we eating? When the time draws near for dinner. (laughs) Sounds good, right? Sounds a lot better than how I talk. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up back to the Father, he set his face to Jerusalem. That setting of the face is a determination, I will go there. It says in the Bible, Jerusalem was the place where they killed the prophets. Jesus knew what waited for him over there, the cross, The humiliation, being stripped naked, beaten, his beard pulled out, spit on, cursed by the ones he created, misunderstood by everyone. He knew what awaited him, but he set his face for it. He pressed on and strained forward to take hold of God who had taken hold of him. Jesus didn't consider it equality with God to hold on, but he laid it down that he would come from heaven to earth and put on a body and suffer as a servant. The Bible said, but the days were going to come when he was going to, the Lord was going to pick him back up and set him back on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And the day drew near, but he knew it went through Jerusalem. And you know what he did? He put it in drive. He set his face. I can follow him. He doesn't tell me to go somewhere he hasn't been. Might be a little tough headed toward my 
New Jerusalem, Mateo. That's my name in Spanish. Sounds better in Spanish, so I use it right there. Mateo, it might be a little tough up here toward Jerusalem, coming into my glory. You might pass through a meadow of green grass and a silent brook, or you might pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Either way, I'm going with you, and I've made the way. I am the way. Will you strain forward with me a little bit? There's glory on the other side. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. I want to ask you, follower of Christ, today, get out of the past. Leave it behind you and set your face forward in the Lord. Lord, whatever it takes, Job said, though you slay me, I will trust you. Jesus said, I don't want this, but if there's no other way, then your will, not my way, God. And he embraced the will of the Father, and he went forward. There is an effort by the darkness to get us to stop, to either stay in our past or put it in part today. The Lord says, strain forward with me. Paul calls to us from the Scriptures, strain forward. Let's go forward in the Lord. I want to encourage you with Easter coming up in two weeks. Just read through the Gospels the the last two weeks of Christ's life in Jerusalem. The last week, he was going to endure suffering. He was beaten and misunderstood, falsely accused. You know what? If we're going to go forward in Christ, there's going to be some suffering. He said, in this world, you will have sorrow, but don't worry. I have overcome the world. So we'll quit being surprised about all the trouble and just realize, hey, Jesus already been through this. He overcame. So by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, we will overcome. Good news. It's hard, but we're going to make it. All right. You know what else he did? He went to the temple and he cleaned house. You remember that story? Made a whip and got him out of there. There was a business that was hindering people from worship and mainly poor people. They were trying to get to God, and they set up a roadblock called, give me some money for your offering. And Jesus said, I don't want anything hindering worship. You know what? If we're going to strain on forward in the Lord, we're going to have to clean this house. Clean this house. I don't need anything in the way of worship, communion with God. I need to go and look. If I'm straining forward, I need to move some things out of the way. Some things don't need to be in my house anymore. He went to the upper room and had communion with his friends. You know, part of straining forward with the Lord is spending time with him. The the meal was more than the meal, just like it is at Grandma's house, right, on Sunday with tortillas and menudo and arroz con pollo. Who's having that today? Because I need to go with you right now. The meal is not just about the meal. It's about the fellowship, isn't it? Jesus said, I knock on the door of your heart. If you let me in, I'll come and eat with you. If we're going to go forward with the Lord, it's going to be in fellowship. We've got to find the time. Make the time. Everything else wants my time. No! Jesus gets this time. I'm going to strain for it. As soon as I sit down, the phone will ring. Learn to turn your phone off, Matt. Thank you, I will. He had communion with his friends, fellowship. He taught them. We've got to listen to the Word of God. If we're going to strain forward and set our face toward Jerusalem, if we're going to take hold of that for which God took hold of us, if we're going to drive this Christian highway toward the Lord called the way, then we're going to need some correction in our life. Jesus went into Jerusalem and corrected the religious leaders. You've heard it said this, but I say this. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? Yeah, pay taxes to Caesar and give God what's God's. You're like a snake, he told the one leader. You're like the blind leading the blind. 
Oh, don't we love correction? Just raise your hand. Can I get a hallelujah? Let's take an extra offering for everybody that likes correction. Jesus, the way forward in the Lord, he's going to need to correct some things in our life. Oh, but correction is direction, not rejection. You know what? He prayed and surrendered in the garden to go forward with the Lord, to set your face toward Jerusalem, to put it in drive and get out of that parking space and go forward and to take hold of Christ who took hold of you. You're going to have to spend the time in prayer. And not just my prayer, like, Lord, give me this, give me this, and make this a whole lot easier and fix that so I don't have to deal with it and da-da-da. But it's the, I give you my will that I can take your will. It's the place of blood, sweat, and tears, surrendering our will to the Father. Jesus would have to carry his cross if he went to Jerusalem. He set his face toward it. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, as we're running this race, driving this road toward the Lord, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run the race or drive the road with perseverance that's marked out for us. And look how we do it. We fix our eyes on Jesus who's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, because what he did, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of, on the throne of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew the cross was waiting, and he didn't focus as much on the cross as he did on what was on the other side of the cross. But he carried his cross to get to the other side. Well, what's on the other side, Matt? Number one, doing the will of his Father. Doing the will of God, he was sent to carry that cross and pay the price for us. And because he did, we have heaven open to us. Amen. Hallelujah. What greater thing can there be? But Jesus took the cross because of the joy set before him. Father, I come not to do my will, but your will. He told his friends one time, I got food you don't even know about. And they said, what is it? And he said, to do the will of my Father who sent me. I live for it. I breathe. I don't even do what I want to do. I only do what I see him doing. I only say what I see him saying. That's my leader. That's my Jesus. That's my Savior giving me the example that I am so far from it, brothers and sisters. Not that I have yet attained it, but one thing I do, forgetting the past, pressing on toward the future, I strain toward the high calling in God. Oh, it's going to be a strain, but there's something much more glorious on the other side. Anyone wants to follow me, Jesus said. He must take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus did it. He took up his cross because there was more than the cross waiting for him. That place of surrender. Lord, you can have my past. Lord, you can have my pain. Lord, you can have my future. Because there's something much better on the other side. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He was determined to continue on to complete his father's will. He looked at the joy set before him. His eye was set on the prize. His eye was forward, you could say. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the prize. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.